0: Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it
1: Howdy, what's your name?
2: Hi, I'm just going to say I'm a fe- fellow minimalist. Hello, fellow minimalist.com
1: um, Someone <laughs> snatch that up fellowminimalist.com. That is good. There's someone right here on their phone
3: right now checking it out at GoDaddy, I know it.
1: They're like, damn, it's not available. I have to get (laughs) fellowminimalist.cc. Howdy.
2: I don't have a blog, I just made that up. And Ryan, thank you for that breathing. I was just doing it because I have been following you guys. I knew I would have a question and I made it up as I was standing here. And now I am not a public speaker, nor do I do it often. So thank you. Anyway, um, saw you at Eagle Eye back in 2005, I think, in Decatur, 2015 in Decatur?
1: 14, yep.
2: 14. Uh, Good to see you again. Um, So I think I have a pretty good hold of getting rid of things, getting rid of obligations. Uh, I'm getting off social media because I want those intentional things in my life. So this is really about intention. Intentionality for me. There are some things that I might want to, but really can't get rid of, and that's why I didn't say my name. And that can be family. So I love my family, but anybody else here? Anybody? I, I love them.
4: Is, is your family with you tonight? They
2: are not. Because they might—they
4: might they <laughs> know you're talking about them.
2: And I don't want to make this too deep, but, um, you know, I came from poverty. I've grown up. I've changed my ways. I've seen the world, and I've grown. My family has grown, but I feel like we've grown in different directions. Mm -hmm. Spending time with them can be very painful. It can be very hurtful. It can really trigger things that I've worked so hard to get past. Show of hands, anybody else here I mean i 'm getting real, right and this is something that through the podcast and reading your book and seeing your documentary I, I, I wanted to ask you about because it is it, it's real right it's real, and again, I love them, but I feel like what planet did they come from, and what did I come from and I, I really I'm not going to minimalize them, and I, I some are too old to, like, think they're going to change, and I, I, I want to – I know I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But any tips from your perspective on making the best of the situation? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah I think okay. this is an appropriate question for, for, for me and Ryan for sure because we both have two different approaches. We, we both have families that um, – Let's just say are similar to yours uh, w- with respect to um man it'd be uh, either impossible or not worth trying to get them to to come around to sort of our worldview right um and uh, or to even get them to understand, let alone you know walk down the same path and and um my approach which is different from Ryan's I think is to love people from a distance and over time that becomes a greater and greater distance and um, I, What I've what I've found when I do that is sometimes Usually not but sometimes that distance that gap actually closes a little bit because they come closer to me and 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 closer to my values. It doesn't mean that I don't love them. It doesn't mean that I don't care them in fact here 's the the, the the shareable answer um, uh, often the best way to love someone is from a distance um, because it allows you to 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 still care about them to, to still understand them, but not support their their behaviors uh, if they you know, here 's another pithy thing for you um, uh, victims become victimizers and so if 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 you If you stick around you know a, a group of people who are continuously victims, whether or not they're family or not, and so maybe the question I would ask you is how much time would you spend with these people if they weren't your family and and answer that honestly to yourself, and that that should be able to give you an idea of how much distance maybe you need to put between them and and you right now doesn't mean you cut them out, but it might it might uh, allow you to, to identify what's the appropriate distance to place uh, so that I can love you from that distance.
3: Man, I, uh, yeah, definitely experience a lot of the same stuff. Um, I'm just going to tell you maybe a couple stories. Uh, <clears throat> the first one, my... Actually, I don't want to... I don't even think my, any of my family listens to this, but I'm not going to call anyone out. Um, one of my family members... Are
1: they Patreon supporters? <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, this is a Patreon episode, isn't it? Um, that's right. I can, I can spill all the beans now. No, I'm still going to be respectful. Uh, so one, one, I had some family come out um, to Montana to visit. Uh, one of my family members in particular um, was just... Being a jerk the entire time, the entire time, and it was, uh, it was hurtful, and it was a lot of um, just derogatory comments driven at me, at my partner, Mariah, uh, at the rest of the family that was, I mean, it was just a nightmare of a situation, and there's a certain point where this family member uh, was starting to go at it again. And I said, you got to stop. And they're like, what? Huh? 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 What? Huh? What? And I'm like, stop. I said, I have friends that treat me better than you treat me. And they said, "Well, that's bullshit, man. We're family. The family's better than friends. I said, no, dude. That's not true. I said, if if you were really a good family member, you'd be better than my friends. And just because we're family does not mean I have to be friends with you. And that, that really, uh, he hasn't, I'm getting closer to telling you who it is. Uh, he, he hasn't, he hasn't acted that way since honestly. And, uh, like gave me a real big apology and, um, and, and that was a really, like, tough conversation, but I was willing to cut him out of my life, and I expressed that. Uh, another another family member who I talked to, um, on, uh, they would call me on the phone, and it was always negative. It was always this very negative, uh, uh, again, berating me with, with really crappy comments and, and just telling me about you know, how their life is completely messed up. I'm sure we all have had someone like that in our lives where when we talk to them, they're just negative all the time. And I went at a certain point and I would, cause you try to be there for that person as much as you can, but then at a certain point, I'm like, wait a minute, every time I talk to you, it's negative. So with this family member, I'm like, um, when we talk, we don't really laugh. We don't really, we don't really have good conversations. In fact, the majority of the time we talk, I'm going to be honest with you. You bring me down. And it's not that I don't want to help you, but it's the same things that you are constantly complaining about. And I got to tell you, if, if we're having a conversation and it starts to turn into this negative rant, I'm going to have to hang up the phone. Conversations are completely different now. One time I was at a family member's house, they just started like in their cussing at each other, arguing, you did this, you did that. I just got up and left. Where are you going, Ryan? I was like, I don't do this anymore. This, I don't do this. I'm leaving now. If you guys want to be in my life and if you want me to be here, then you have to be kind to each other. You got to be kind to me. So with family, I think you can get away with being a little bit more direct. Um, at the end of the day though, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, if your family members love you, and they want you to be happy, they're going to support you. And if they're not doing that, then you've gotta be able to call that out to them. And maybe some fa- family members don't love you. Okay, great, you know which family members you do need to distance yourself from. I will say though, that after many, many years, I, uh, so my mom is like very fully supportive. When it first started out, not so much. Um, same thing with a lot of other family members. And I'll tell you, there was one particular family member that I really looked up to growing up and they, they, seven years, we started this. Seven years ago, we started this. And it wasn't until uh, just when I was in Ohio um, last month where I went to a family get together. Uh, we had like carving pumpkin, and there's nieces and nephews and cousins. And, and this family member was there, and we had like a really great conversation. And um, he finally was like, man, you know, he's like, you really have like completely changed your life. And I'm really, really honored to, to, to be a family member of yours. And I'm, I'm so happy we're related. And the reason why he could get to that point is because I was, I was consistent. For seven years, I've been consistent. And if you want, so if you want family members to, to really respect you, be consistent and, and don't be scared to, to set expectations with family members.
1: If I, if I were to just add a couple things, if I were to add some pithy answers to, to Ryan's, uh, this isn't the lightning round anymore, but um, the, I just have some tweets in my head that I feel compelled to share with you. And since now we have 280 characters, I have more to ramble on about. Um, but uh, I, I guess what I would say about the, those, those two things you just shared there, one is that uh, your family isn't necessarily comprised of relatives. Some people will get that. Um, and, and I mean, I can tell you that you know, the the people closest to me, who I consider to be my family, aren't necessarily related to me. I mean, I consider Ryan my brother. I mean, and I I mean this in in virtually every sense of the word. We, I mean, we don't look anything alike, obviously. Thank God. <laughs> um, but I uh, like if if we're like if, if I'm waiting on, you know, if I'm sitting somewhere and he's running late, as he does, and. Um, I'm going to be at a coffee shop, and it's, you know, I'm just, I'm sitting there, oh, you waiting some? yeah, I'm just waiting for my brother to show up. And, and I mean, Ryan's my family. My, my partner, Rebecca, we do happen to look a lot alike. People often think we're siblings, which is either weird or really hot, if that's your fetish. I thought, <laughs> I thought that's why you started dating her, because she looked like you. <laughs> <laughs> call her sis sometimes, but you promised we would keep that private. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I had one other pithy answer, but it has fluttered off into the ether, I'll figure it out later. JP? Yeah,
4: family. The, um, you know, I would differentiate between uh, like, the quali- like the quality of feeling that you or I or anybody gets in the presence of a family member, you know, th- there's abuse we know what physical abuse looks like but there's also emotional abuse and there's also low-grade emotional abuse that we don't recognize oftentimes because it's like all we've ever seen like does a emotionally abused fish know it's swimming in emotionally abused waters as the old analogy goes (laughs) so there's that and my my perspective is when there's abuse happening It is abusive to ourselves to not create a boundary. You know, just because it's familiar doesn't mean we have to consent to it. So, I think it's an act of self-love to exercise firm boundaries when they're needed. And then on, on a different feeling that's very uncomfortable but it's not abusive, is the feeling that comes up when, when we feel essentially like the shame, like I, I can't change the person to be who I want them to be. That can be very uncomfortable because it's shame. But I don't think that's something that we really need to create distance from our relatives about, like when we recognize like, yeah, this is going on. I think we can call ourselves into a higher order of acceptance-based relationships rather than agreement-based relationships. An agreement-based relationship says basically, you act the way I want you to act, you be who I want you to be, and you'll be in my life. But an ex- and there's no acceptance in that, it's just tolerance. And there's no connection there either. But an acceptance-based relationship might say like, we're, we're different, you are different, and how you live might actually frighten me. You, you might eat like crap, you might live a cluttered life, and that scares me, And that's for me to deal with. I'll do my best to accept you as you are. And there's real connection there. I think acceptance is pretty synonymous with love. Uh, But that's the the qualifier on that is there's no abuse going on in that situation. So, man, I think it sounded like I just farted. Did you guys hear that? I didn't.
3: I was honored that you farted on stage with me.
4: It's Ryan's (laughs) fetish. Which you said you would keep private. But you said you'd keep it private, that I said I'd keep it private. So I think we both kind (laughs) of violated it. So to me, there's a lot of mental clutter when we're actually trying to change people and we're like exercising an agreement-based relationship. So I would just be self-aware, like which is it? Maybe it's like a little bit of both or a lot of both. But my pithy answer would be, Uh, The heart calls for acceptance-based relationships. The head, out of its need for control, wants agreement-based relationships.
2: Thank you very, very much. And you have a great coffee shop, by the way. I've been down there. It's awesome.
3: Oh, thank you. You mean Bandit located in St. Petersburg? I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) We, sort of kidding. Good it, evening, it, gentlemen. Howdy. We, we have time for one last question. I apologize to the other folks in line, but they're going to kick us out of here otherwise. What's your name?
5: My name is Maude, and hey, I live Maude. in Huntsville, Alabama.
1: Thank you for making the, uh, the ride over. Appreciate that. It was a
5: bit of a schlep. but um, <laughs> I'm going to spare you the backstory, having been a long-term listener to, to your podcast and Patreon. But the long story short is, um, over the last several months, I have transitioned from chasing the American dream for 20 years to making a decision to return to the city of my growth and home, and the home that I grew up in, and to move in with my mom. Not to reform her, but to just share her life with her as she's turning 80. And um, she's planning on living 25 more years. we're not really sure how that's going to work out, but but you know I think it's it's time to do that. And herein lies my question: is I live in Huntsville, Alabama, and I have no complaints about Huntsville, Alabama. But but I'm I grew up in San Francisco, and I've been out of San Francisco for 20 years. So anyone that is aware of how much the Bay Area has changed knows that I'm basically going home to a, a city that is completely consumer-based at this point and extremely high-toned compared to what I grew up in. I could say I grew up poor in the same house that now we're rich in. And so the question I have or the concern I have is, it seems to me like it might be easy to be a minimalist in some place where there's less stuff to access, like Missoula or Huntsville. And how do you make a transition to a richer or more resource-rich um, environment like Los Angeles or San Francisco, and still maintain the minimalist mindset?
1: You know, you, your story reminds me of uh, a friend of mine who's an artist. Uh, his name's Eric, in, in Dayton, Ohio, he uh, he often travels outside of town, like to the, the suburbs of the city. Um, where there was a lot of construction going on around 2002 during this huge housing boom and these big McMansions and neighborhoods that where, where Ryan and I live in, these, these sort of suburbs or exurbs of, of, of the city. And uh, there's something kind of cool and interesting happening in the city of Dayton right now. It was just back there last month where people are leaving the suburbs for the first time in many decades and coming into the city but in doing so, they're abandoning, so to speak, these large houses that were just built a decade, a decade and a half ago that look essentially new, um, cookie cutter McMansions. And he said, y- "You know, it's weird. I go out there to buy these art supplies or like different you know things that I'm buying from people's garages, and I notice as I drive through the neighborhoods that half the houses are empty, and I." Said yeah, but maybe the other half are empty in a different way, and, and what I mean by that is I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with living in the suburbs. By the way, I, I think it has to do you, with what's appropriate for for your lifestyle. Um, I think it becomes wrong when it is n- not appropriate when when you're living in the driver's seat of your own life when, when you've when you've figured out that like. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to go here because that's what everyone else is doing. This is what I'm supposed to do. And the same thing will happen in the suburbs. The same thing will happen in uh, San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco is truly a different city from when you grew up there. Um, and in some respects, it's better and, and improved and fixed. In other respects, it's not better at all. And part of that has to do with preferences. Part of that has to do with what you want access to as well. Um, I mean, I enjoy San Francisco when I go there for sure, um, but it, it's also daunting to think about the cost of living in a city like that. And I live in Los Angeles now and, and even say that, wow, you know, couldn't afford to live in, in San Francisco. Um, and, and I know that wasn't always the case, but here's what I'll say. Uh, is it easier to be a minimalist in a city like Missoula or Huntsville or, or a smaller place like that or in the middle of nowhere? In some respects, yes, uh, because you don't have the constant barrage of inputs that may force you to, to want things that you don't necessarily need. On the other hand, no, it's actually much easier to be a minimalist in a city. Uh, and the reason being is you don't have to own the things that you want access to. You can have access to many more things as long as you're living in a deliberate way that you can, you can seek those things out if you truly need them, if they will add value to your life. And so in this move, what I'm going to encourage you to, to experiment with is instead of uh, adopting that same culture of ownership that you're so used to in a city like Missoula or Huntsville, where you have to own everything if you want to possess it, Walk into that culture of access and understand that like, yeah, just because I need to use something today doesn't mean I need to, to own it, to consume it in perpetuity. I might need a single-use thing. I can rent it. I can borrow it. And there are plenty of apps and technology that are going to enable me to do that without bringing it into my life forever. You
3: literally touched on everything that was like going through my head. I don't even know what to, what, what to add to that. Um... I guess the first thing I thought is when you asked your question was, I feel the exact opposite. Like we just moved to Los Angeles, it's so much easier to be a minimalist in Los Angeles. Shit's expensive, man. <laughs> I can't afford to have all this stuff anyway. Uh, it, it, the places are smaller than than Missoula, um, and, it, and it is a town of of access. Where in Missoula, I, I think it's it, it's a little bit harder to be a minimalist in a rural area because it's it is not. I mean, pretty much anywhere where you are in the United States, you are in a culture of access, but in rural towns, it does make you feel like you're a little less in that culture of access. So actually for me, it was, it was harder for me to not hold on to stuff because I didn't want to have to drive an hour to Missoula from our cabin in the middle of the woods to go replace something. Um, So I, I guess, yeah, I'll just echo what Josh said. It's, it's not that difficult to be a minimalist in a small city because you are in that culture of access.
4: Yeah. Uh, First off, I love the fact that you have your purse uh, with you. It implies that you don't trust the person you were sitting next to.
5: I'm alone. Yes. You
4: sound defended, actually. No, and, and I love what these guys said, and, and uh, you know, to me, it sounds like a great opportunity, to be honest with you. It's almost like, oh, going to the gym, I get to lift heavier weights now, and, and because you've had your, your practice, your experience with uh, your craft of minimalism up to this point in an easier environment, not to say it's easy, but relatively speaking, it sounds like it's been easier for you, and now you get to upgrade the challenge. You know, to me, like much like Ryan, I meditate. And uh, in fact, uh, right before I came on stage, I did a three-hour meditation. <laughs> it only took me five minutes because I'm, like, really good, <laughs> yet I have this theory on meditation. You know, typically when we meditate, we, we control the environment, like we, our control freak comes out in a hyperactive way, like everything's got to be quiet. Well that doesn't necessarily make you better at being meditative in the real world. It makes you better at meditating in an artificially controlled room basically. But to me, the goal is to be meditative in non-meditative environments. So being able to be meditative when you're in a room with a bunch of people or going through a, an airport, to me that's the goal. And I, and I think this is your version of that. Like you can get to be in what you perceive to be a very non-minimalist environment. And you've got a foundation of minimalist strength you've built in the gym where you've been living at. So I'm marrying analogies together, which I think is really effective communication. <laughs> and I'm guessing it won't be super easy, but life says like, yeah, this is your next challenge. Like you're, it's not going to be easy for you, but you're ready for it. So it sounds exciting to me.
3: We wish you way more than luck. You. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.
4: I I was about to like get her with a flying kick to her because she was coming at the stage. I sh- I thought you were going to hurt these guys. You thought she was rushing the stage. Yeah, to- and she doesn't trust you. <laughs>
0: gotta grab, oh I bet that you will be fine without it, so tear your eyes away, or take